Hello and welcome to Archway's Western Civilization History Podcast for families. I'm your host, Marie Archway. On this podcast, we look for the best of the West and talk about what makes the West different from the rest. Today's podcast is sponsored by Play-Doh. Not fun to play with, not fun to eat, but great to think about. Today's show will be discussing the influence and impacts of ancient Greece and a few of their inventions that we still get to use today. Let's start with the context. Near the Aegean Sea, there is a little bit of land called Greece. Greece is a very nice place. It has a pretty good climate, good weather, it grows crops well. It's also very mountainous. And about 300 BC, people started forming agrarian societies there. In societies that farm, people tend to stay in one place. And in Greece, a bunch of different little cities started to pop up based on where people were farming and sailing and trading with each other. Now, the history of ancient, ancient Greece gets a little bit dicey. When you think of Greece, you probably think of Socrates and Athens and Hoplites and Spartans and Zeus. But we know very little about ancient Greece before the Golden Age. Between 300 and 2100 BC, we don't have any translatable written records of the civilizations that were living in ancient Greece. Such civilizations are things like the Minoans. Now, the Minoans, they're a Greek civilization. They love cows. They build really cool palaces. We aren't totally sure why they disappeared. We do know that they have a few writings that we can't read from them. After the Minoans disappeared, either due to invasion, volcanoes, etc., Greece again plummeted into another dark age with no written records. After a few hundred years and a lot of growth and rebuilding, the city-states developed once again into thriving cultures. Now, it's important to remember the Greeks do think of themselves as Greeks, but that's not their main identity. Greek people herald from city-states. City-states like Sparta and Athens and Corinth. And all these city-states, even though they are ethnically similar, they are not politically similar nor culturally similar. And a lot of Greek history is spent with these city-states fighting with each other, making peace with each other, and then fighting each other again. Great, now you have the context. Now, dear listener, I'm going to talk about three Greek inventions that have really changed Western civilization. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, Marie's just gonna talk about democracy and democracy this and democracy that. And while I am a big fan, I think you'll be surprised to learn what the Greeks have given us. Personally, my favorite thing the Greeks invented is history. The Greeks literally made history. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea and think that everything started with Greece. We have a lot of written records from ancient civilizations. We have everything from poetry to grain documents. However, the Greek historian and the first historian, Herodotus, 
specifically wrote the accounts and events of his day so that other people in the future and people in his time would know what was going on. Now, it's fair to ask, why did Herodotus write history, and why had no one done it before? Well, one of the reasons Herodotus wrote his history is to make money. Herodotus used to travel around all over Greece and all over Persia so that he could write about it and tell other people his stories. He writes some pretty tall tales, but some of the cool things he does see is he sees the pyramids in Egypt. Yes, they were there when he was alive. The pyramids are crazy old. One of the most notable things that Herodotus writes about is the wars between Greece and Persia. Now, I had said previously, and I stand by this, that the Greek city-states did not get along most of the time. This is true. However, nothing unites a bunch of cranky little city-states like a big empire about to kill them all. Herodotus writes about battles like Marathon, Salamis, and Thermopylae. And while some of his things are a little bit questionable, for example, his death counts are noticeably ridiculous sounding, he does write some really fascinating commentary about the Greeks in these wars. He also reveals... <laughs> he reveals how the Greeks thought of the Persians. I'll share this, this one story from Herodotus, and I'll tell it in his own words. For context, the king of Persia, Xerxes, is trying to cross into Greece to invade it and kill it all, and this is what Herodotus says. But when the strait had been bridged over, Xerxes was crossing a river, a great storm came upon and dashed together all the work that had been made and broke it up. And then when Xerxes heard it, he was exceedingly enraged and bade them scourge the Hellespont the ocean, with three hundred strokes of the lash, and let down into the sea a pair of feathers. Nay, I have heard further that he sent branders also with them to brand the Hellespont. However this may be, he enjoined them, as they were beating, to say the barbarian and presumptuous words as follows. Thou bitter water, thy master, lays upon thee this penalty, because thou didst wrong him, not having suffered any wrong from him, and Xerxes the king will pass over thee, whether thou be willing or no. Now I know that was some old language, dear listener, but let's just break that down. The king is trying to cross the river slash ocean from Turkey into Greece. A storm breaks his boats and his beautiful little boat bridge, and as punishment, he orders his soldiers to chain the Hellespont, to beat it with whips, and to yell at it. Now we heard it from Herodotus, and it must be true. Or at least I hope it's true. Now Herodotus might be the first historian, and he may not be the most reliable because he was selling his stories to make money and the crazier they are, the better it is, and a lot of things he might not have seen firsthand. However, his record is still so valuable for understanding how Greeks thought and acted in his day. 
Another amazing thing about Greece is that it does not only have the first historian, but it also has a very rich lineage of historians. Another great Greek historian is Thucydides, who writes about the Peloponnesian Wars, and not only is Thucydides an excellent historian and writes an amazing history, but he's also a general in the Peloponnesian War. Even after Greece becomes conquered by, well, quite a number of people, like Rome and the Ottoman Empire, they still continue to produce many amazing historians, both for Rome and the Ottomans. Now I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, well, Marie, how does it get better than inventing history, the first written actual historical record? Surely there's nothing better than that. And you're right, history's definitely the best. But close to history is the art of philosophy. Philosophy comes from the Greek, meaning to love wisdom. And the Greeks had a lot of thinkers in their time who were wondering about questions like, what makes people happy? How should governments be? What is justice? These sorts of questions. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, she's gonna talk about justice and heaven knows what else in this podcast. And I will a little bit, but philosophy, and especially in the Greek sense of the word, is not just thinking about weird questions. It's about enjoying and observing the world around you. The first philosopher, his name was Thales. And Thales is famous for a number of things, not just his philosophies, but he is also interested in the nature of the earth. He, okay, granted, he was a little bit wrong on this one, but he was definitely trying. He observed that a lot of things around him were made of water. For example, people have water in them, and plants have water in them, and when you boil water, little puffs of steam come out, and that's kind of like water, and he kind of believed everything was made out of water. That's not his only contribution to history, it's just an interesting side note. Thales also made some really interesting contributions to geometry just by walking through different theorems. If you are in a geometry class, you will probably encounter some of his theorems. Now, as much as I love Thales, we have to admit that there is one big superstar when it comes to Greek philosophy and philosophy in general. And his name is not Socrates. It's Socrates. Now, most interactions with Socrates can be described thus. This is according to my reading of Plato's Republic. Socrates will walk up to someone, or someone will walk up to Socrates, and they'll have a very simple question. And Socrates will ask them a question, and they'll be like, well, I don't know, but I think this, and Socrates is like, but if you think this, it is impossible for you to think that. And how can you even function, you horrible human being who knows nothing about wisdom and virtue? Maybe I was a little extreme in that judgment, but it feels close to what I've read. 
about Socrates and his interactions. Now, Socrates saw himself as a gadfly. That's a weird thing to think of yourself as. But he would go around asking the hard questions, asking difficult questions, so that people would think and contemplate why they were making the decisions they were making. Not to spoil the ending for you or anything, but Socrates is dead now. And he is dead. He was put to death by the Athenians. He was voted to be poisoned with hemlock because of the way he was thinking. And one of the accusations placed against him was, quote, corrupting the young. Now, that sounds like a silly thing, and to some extent it was a bit true. Two of Socrates' closest students, their names are Alcibiades and Critias, uh, were kind of the two worst people for Athenian democracy ever. Really, just hands down. Critias became one of the Thirty Tyrants when Sparta imposed a new regime on Athens and was definitely a psychopath. And Alcibiades betrayed Athens and Sparta multiple times in the course of the Peloponnesian Wars and is honestly one of the worst people to ever have any history written about him. And for this, Socrates was put to death. He had the opportunity to run, but he chose to stay as a symbol of his dedication to democracy and uh, subjecting himself to the people's will. Now, we can't be mad at Socrates, because while two of his students were pretty rotten eggs, one of his students was absolutely amazing, and that student's name is Plato. Plato is actually the reason we have anything about Socrates' teachings, because Plato records them in his dialogues in The Republic, Plato's main work. Plato is primarily interested in the ideals of things. He calls them forms. Forms are like the perfection that fills the need. For example, if there is a perfect chair, he wants to think about it. He wants to think about what makes a chair perfect? What makes a chair chair? What is chairness? Is every chair a chair? He thinks a lot about this kind of stuff. And now that's, that might sound very odd, but it's very interesting in terms with human beings. What makes a perfect be human being? How do we know if human beings are fulfilling their purpose? Plato writes these things, and he is very good at them. And Platonism, the philosophy he founds, is extremely pop popular in the West for, let's see, for forever? Um, yeah, since he wrote about it, the Romans really liked Platonism, the medievalists really loved it, some of the elements of it got included with Christianity. It's a very big thing, very good stuff. Now, Plato, in like manner, also has a student, and his name is Aristotle. And Aristotle is not particularly interested in forms and ideals, but he is interested in what exists here and now. And while Aristotle, he is often critiqued for having bad science, and I agree, some of his science is very questionable, 
he does begin to create systems for categorizing animals, theories about physics, theories about not really chemistry, but just mixing things together. And he writes so, so much. Aristotle's work is also extremely long-lasting. People cannot stop writing about Aristotle. Uh, he's beloved by both medieval thinkers of the Christian denominations and medieval thinkers of the Muslim denominations. He is just constantly referenced throughout Western civilization. Okay, so we've talked about philosophy, we've talked about history. The two greatest things in the world, mostly history, mostly history though, so good, love that. What else could the Greeks have possibly invented that's not democracy, that's just as long-lasting and interesting as history and philosophy? Well, the Greeks invented theater. And you're probably thinking to yourself, uh, Marie, you know that Disney's Hercules and the hit Mamma Mia musical, um, those aren't ancient Greek scripts. Amazing stuff, not ancient Greek. And you're correct. Those things are amazing, but they are not from ancient Greece. But the first plays and the first comedies and the first tragedies all originated in Greece. The Greeks used to have religious festivals that at first featured recitations of stories and songs and gradually evolved into huge, long plays and even series of plays. And it was even common practice for people to win prizes for writing the best plays that would be performed at the festivals. If you go to Greece today, you can still see remains of the ancient theaters that people would watch these amazing plays in. And in fact, a lot of these Greek plays are still popular even today. One of the most famous Greek plays is by Sophocles, and it's called The Oedipus Cycle, which is a series of three plays, which includes Oedipus Rex, Oedipus at Cornus, and Antigone. And they are still widely read today in high schools and colleges, and are even performed sometimes. One thing that's interesting about Greek plays is that they are in completely intended to be spoiled for you. Unlike today, where we get mad if somebody reveals the end of a movie or a book, and we say, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, that's not a problem for the Greeks, because Greek plays were typically written about stories everyone already knew the answer to. It'd be the equivalent of somebody writing a play about Little Red Riding Hood. But it's a dramatic, crazy play with many twists and turns. But you know how it ends. While Sophocles definitely deserves the spotlight, and has certainly earned the centuries and centuries of praise for Oedipus Rex and the Oedipus Cycle, there are other also very famous Greek plays, uh, specifically tragedies, that we still perform sometimes. Aeschylus, the playwright, a contemporary with Soph Sophocles, he writes an amazing uh, trilogy called the Oresteia, which is kind of a 
sequel to or maybe spin-off of uh, the Trojan War and the King Agamemnon and explores what happens uh, when you make your wife really, really, really mad. Now, when we look back at history, it's important to remember that the people of the past are human beings too. And they experience a very wide range of emotions. It's very unfortunate that these days we think of the past as, like, very boring and very serious and Greek plays are no different and Greek plays are very tragic and very somber and yada-da-da-da. It isn't... The Greeks had a sense of humor, too. They invented comedy. And gosh, they're good at it. I'd like to finish the podcast today by reading a little bit of the Greek play The Clouds by Aristophanes. Now this is a very deep and thoughtful play that is completely dedicated to mocking and making fun of Socrates and other philosophers. It is also written in the time of Socrates. The Disciple Not long ago a lizard caused him, Socrates, the loss of a sublime thought, Stripsiades. In what way, please? Disciple. One night, when he was studying the course of the moon and its revolutions, and was gazing open-mouthed at the heavens, a lizard crapped on him from on top the roof. Stripsiades. A lizard crapping on Socrates? That's rich. It certainly is. Well, thank you so much for listening to the three things that ancient Greece has given us. It's important to remember the legacies that the past passes to us so that we can continually treasure them and build upon them. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. It's always a joy to talk about the things that I love most about the past. If you want to learn more about ancient Greece or any of the topics I talked about today, I recommend reading Herodotus himself, or if you're a little bit younger, The Boys and Girls Guide to Herodotus. You can also read Plato's Republic if you're feeling ambitious, or any of the works of Aristotle. And if you're a younger reader, I would not recommend Oedipus Rex, The Oristia, or Aristophanes. Uh, until you're a little bit older. But if you're an adult, go for it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to listen to us ramble about history more, I recommend sharing this podcast with a friend. It really helps us out and keeps us excited to share these wonderful stories and themes with you. Anyway... Thank you so much for listening once again, and that's history.